Howdy. This is the Managing Expectations Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. <laughs> Emerging from his chip bag is the Segundo, Jared Reiser. Howdy, Jared. Well, hi, hi. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad you made time for me today. Uh, we, the Olympics just concluded and you're pro olympic is that right well <clears throat> so I, I listened to the last podcast that i don't know if it's available yet <laughs> but, but did you, where did you, have, did you have to go to podbean so i tried out what you were talking about google podcast before i was using spotify I can't, I don't know what to say. I, we need to get to the, we, we get a lot of downloads from Spotify and um, we'd probably get more if it was dropping. Um, so we need to look at that. Anyway, all, all right. So, but, so last podcast, well, I 100% a five-star review. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We are living in such a dark and depressing world. The only thing that gets me through my day is this podcast so i hope the fans i hope the fans are listening to that so okay. anyways it's probably overstating it to say we have fans our fan we, we probably have people that tolerate us hey i'll our take that over them hating us crew <laughs> but i was gonna say Ooh, because i'm a fiend for alliteration our our tolerance troop and if we, if we just want to make it classy as all giddy up, we'll put an E on the end, <laughs> troop. We, we use the Spanish, the Spanish uh, relic. It's pronounced troupe. <laughs> yeah. This is a oh, you're, this you, is you're one of those. I, I'm looking at two guys who could use a troupe. <laughs> hey, just on the five head. Just on the five head. Just. I just, I, I, I have a little dignity. I don't want to wear a complete toupee. I just need one over my forehead. You know how girls, you know, like wearing fake eyelashes that attach on to the, do they have bangs for guys? You know, like those, give me a little more bangs, you know? Um, the thing is, <laughs> I've got like, I'm, I got this bald spot on my crown so the fact of the matter is I just need a hat. And the more, the, the more of me uh, that reacts poorly to the sun, um, I'm gonna end up in a sombrero. What, I don't know why the sombrero is, is uh, not a respected hat. I think it's a good, it's, you know, especially if you're out in the sun a lot. Yeah. Awesome hat. Protecting shoulders hat. too from the sun. <laughs> Shoulder protection. It's like the umbrella hat. <laughs> okay, so you were gonna. Okay, so you listened to the last podcast. So the things you hate about the Olympics, I agree, one hundred percent. I I could care when I watch. I could care less which country has more medals. The thing I the thing I always like about the Olympics is watching people who just have almost superhuman 
abilities. It's just kind of fun. It's fun to watch sometimes. Okay. okay. And track and field has always been one of my favorites. It's something, you know, I didn't run track in school, but I did love to run. And you know how every, every year schools would do that whole field day thing. All right. They always had me doing, you know, track and field. I was always really? doing the hundred meter, the relay, you know, four by hundred relay, stuff like that. And just, yeah, it's just something I, you know, it, it was something. I am um, in, in track <laughs> and field. I was a very valuable member of the tug of war team. <laughs> hey, that was always fun too. Yep. Yep. Uh, I I was able to fit into that big uh, circle at the end of it, and I, I I was typically the anchor of the tug of war team. Cool. But sometimes I was, yeah. but, but sometimes I was up at the flag too because I could you know really plant my legs. Anyway, it, it hardly seems yeah. like a sport. I mean, it, it, it... well, I mean, if if handball can be in the Olympics, why can't tug of war? You know. Well, and this is. Uh, you know, I, I, at the risk of repeating what what I think is so stupid about it is, I mean, they've let all sorts of like gimmicky stuff in, but I mean, I, know. I don't know, yeah. maybe, I mean, there was probably a crabby old guy 2000 years ago. It's like, so I understand why Phidippides had to run 28 miles in a day, but I don't know why anybody else should. I don't know why it's a big deal. I don't know why we do this thing. You know, you, you or, gotta, <laughs> and you know, and have you seen? Have you seen the statues? I mean, the Greeks. I know. You know that that wrestling. I mean that that's how it starts right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We need more oil. We need more oil. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see, did you ever see the birdcage? Where oh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams and Gene Hackman and I, who was that part? Uh, I never saw it. Is it funny? Well, there's just a scene. So they go over to Robin Williams and Nathan Lane's house and Nathan Lane's a drag. And uh, uh, they, um, they have an artwork that has gr Greek erotica on it. Uh, uh, did I say artwork? Um, uh, plates and bowls um what's okay. that called you get it at a, like pottery barn or whatever um i don't know don't know the word you're looking for but i know what you know what you mean i know i really <laughs> like to have the word okay well anyway plateware plates, <laughs> plates and bowls so anyway so so they uh so they got to the bottom and and uh it's like what what is this what what, what is this artwork i don't have my glasses i need to wear my glasses and then, like, then that then hilarity ensues as they try to keep, so they try to clear the dishes. Dishes is a word that I could have used. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> we speak English very goodly. <laughs> More early onset content clamors are tolerance troop t-r-o-u-p-e <laughs> anyway hilarious oh, okay, okay so anyway so uh uh you know i don't even I, 
did, did, did we say anything about like how like the women's the women's uh, beach volleyball you know ha, you know they had to play in bikini bottoms and yeah. which is about as close to the classical world as you can possibly get um, without getting sand in your parts. And then they yeah, got to go the guys, there. The guys get to play in, you know, culottes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, well, so which team was it that got, was it the Team US, USA that got fined? No, I think it was, uh, the... it was, it was Scandinavian. I think it was Denmark. Because they just wanted to play in like short shorts instead of like bikini bottoms. Yeah. It, now, I don't know if this is true, but I had heard the the artist pink paid all their fines i heard somebody paid for them yeah yeah was, well yeah so that that's nice that's actually another sport too um i've i watched I like watching uh not necessarily just the, the female what is <laughs> female volleyball. volleyball but i like indoor too as well like what because you know I, again those are sports i played you know growing up my father-in-law my father-in-law who is from mexico <laughs> he was a really good teacher you know we, he put together a pretty good little not a not of not of spanish a pretty good volleyball teacher <laughs> oh yeah yeah yes yeah, so i put put together a pretty good team between me louis a few others emily too and um we do really well. We played in leagues, you know, indoor. So my friend Eddie Medina is like, he's at least 6'4", and honestly, he could be 6'6". And his dad visited once, and he was even taller. And I made a joke about him being on the Mexican basketball team. And the fact is, he played basketball in Mexico as a younger man. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I like I like that sport is embraced by, you know, in different places. I just think it needs to be balanced. I think the Olympics itself is uh, inherently uh, political thing. And I, look, I've got, you know, Brian had to make me shut up because I was, um, <laughs> you know, telling the truth about what I think about a guy who runs a country, which... Mm -hmm urinates all over his name rhymes with <laughs> um shoot so <laughs> so, so so brian had to shut me down but uh, you know it's like okay well uh that's fine and, and and i'm happy to be shut down but uh because you know i i, I don't i don't I, you know i you know politics is so divisive and it's so just a million things about it, but uh, you know the Olympics. I, I think, and I have here the book "Hitler and the Power of Aesthetics" uh, by Frederick Spots. If you were, if you're, if you were confusing it with the other "Hitler and the Power of Aesthetics," and part of the whole, part of his whole National Socialist ideology was about um, uh, creating 
inspirational artwork which is why like why you would see these like statues of like fantastically muscular men and women you know looking noble i mean it's kind of like Ayn Rand in a way you know i mean just like well it was as the the uh uh, the Germans would put it Ubermensch or Superman, a race, creating a race of supermen. And so when Hitler first became chancellor, he was going to cancel the 36 Olympics because, because he knew that there would be um, uh, Jewish people and black people, and he didn't want that. But then he changed his mind because it was going to be a chance for uh, Aryans to show everybody else up. Right. So they create, so he, they built this Nuremberg stadium. Right. And, and there's talk about like the Nuremberg rallies. Okay. Um, and, and that's where like, you'll see just like a hundred thousand Nazis standing in perfect rows. Right. And, and, um, that's where they had uh, the Olympics. And let's see, let me see if I can find the right. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Um, Hitler considered Myron's discus thrower to be the platonic ideal of the male athlete, supreme Olympic figure and the quote, new man emerging from the third Reich. Brecker's starting point was the same, the Greek nude, and he used notable German athletes as his models. But while Greek sculptors idealized the body and glorified sport, Brecker idealized the Aryan man and glorified national socialist ideas. Because he was a powerful artist, he was able to convey his images with great intensity. To compare the discus thrower with, say, readiness, is to see that the one is natural and human, the other stilted and brutish. Each muscle, each tendon had to express strength and force. It has been observed of Brecker's nudes. In their disciplined steel-like bodies, they were representatives of a disciplined steely nation. As such, they perfectly ref reflected the Fuhrer's belief that the step from athlete to warrior was a tiny one. These works express the ideals of camaraderie, discipline, heroism, will to do battle. Can you make any more noise with your chips? I'm reading about the Nazis. A little respect, please, before we get to the part where they're bad. Nine! <laughs> Hey, you can't hear this, can you? <laughs> Sorry, pro proceed. See, I was afraid. I got into that paragraph, and there was a lot about about male nude models, and I thought you might have to go take a break. <laughs> I'm I'm taking notes to make fun of you later when Brian's here. <laughs> um, but this these were the these were the statues that were put up all around um, uh, the Nuremberg, uh, uh, the Nuremberg um, games. 
I'm sorry, not Nuremberg. <laughs> That's where things. Um, the Munich Games. No, the Munich Games were 72. The Berlin Games. The Berlin Games. So in 32, the games were in Olymp were in Berlin. Uh, there were Nuren There was a great, the great big stadium was built in Nuremberg, and um, and then. And then, and that's where the trials were. The the, the anti-Nazi trials were held in Nuremberg afterwards, right? Judgment. You're asking me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Go back. Right. Go back to the muscular statues. <laughs> okay. So I like. All right. So there's like a new swimmer. Okay. Um, but he's no Michael Phelps, right? Did he break Michael Phelps's records, or did he? You know, I I didn't. I'll, I'll be honest, I've never really been in to watching the swimming. It, okay. it, when Phelps was around, I, I watched just because of the hype and everything. And that, you know, it was kind of fun at the time, but I, it's just never really been. Okay. Yeah. So this, or here's an aspect of the Olympics that I enjoy, which floors me. Uh, and that is um, the difference between, say, a Michael Phelps or uh what, what's the name of the chick who's like i know i know what you're about to say <clears throat> simone biles is that her name mm -hmm. whoever the greatest is uh, and particularly in the ones that don't have artistic judgment rendered on it when it's just speed when it's just a time right yeah the difference between the guy who comes in first and the guy who comes in eighth is like fractions of one second Typically, mm -hmm. you know, unless something right. crazy happens, like you lose a shoe or something like that. But I mean, so I mean, in the pool, there's like Michael Phelps being called the greatest in the world. And then there's like the guy from whatever Poland or who wherever, I mean, it doesn't matter where, uh, who came in eighth. And he was just like a second behind the guy. Okay, so yeah. and like, he's going to go back and he's going to work at a stereo store or, you know, at whatever. <sighs> Well, he's going to get the silver. No, not if you come in eighth. Oh, I thought you said the guy who just came in second, right behind him, right behind first. No, I'm I'm saying the difference between the fastest guy in the pool and the slowest guy oh, in the pool. Okay, gotcha. Is is, is a split second because they've got. You see what I'm saying? So, yes, and you just reminded me of. So I watched. There's nothing better than watching the Olympics with my than with my dad. So like, <laughs> watch you, whoever's in last. My dad's like, huh, look how far behind he is. Huh. And I'm like, Dad, okay, yeah, he may have lost that much to first, but he's the tenth fastest person in the world. It's like he's still he's still extremely fast. Like, oh, look at that guy lagging behind. <laughs> It is too but, but, but I mean, funny. Haven't, haven't you seen what I'm talking about? Like that the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not like they. It's not like they got blown away a lot. Of, you know, a lot of times, like even some of these. You know, like when I was talking about the hundred meter. You know, you watch these guys and they're so close to each other. You right. know, it's. And it's like, man, it's just this guy lost by you know a tenth, a hundredth of a second or something, and yeah, loses out on a medal just because of that tiny little fraction. 
I also find it interesting, like there do there do seem to be places and regions where uh, people are just naturally good at certain things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when you think of long distance running, Kenya, <laughs> is that what you think? Well, the guy who won the marathon is from Kenya. <laughs> As he frequently is, right? Almost every time. I mean, it's unbelievable, and right? Second place, believe it or not, Kenya. <laughs> okay, so even, even like during the mid 20th century, when there was like all this like Cold War stuff going on, and like the East Germans were just creating these, you want, I mean, it's like the perfect combination of like Aryan idealism and not communist science you know so it just they were like creating these steroid warrior athletes right yeah. i gotta tell you i i was kind of had a had a thing for this there was this chick named uh heike drexler and she was an east german um uh, uh, uh like decathlon and, and uh you know she she was attractive in that way that like <laughs> like a woman could like really kick your tail the way you so richly deserve <laughs> oh she's strong <laughs> too much so um e even even then the east germans never created a a marathoner that could compete with the kenyans yeah well i mean so the only the only ones i can think of behind the Kenyans is there, you know, is Ethiopian. There's been some fast Ethiopian runners as well, but yeah, you're right. Um, it's, it's fast and endurance, right? It's just, they're, they're unbelievable. And I thought if the Kenyans, I thought a lot of their success they attributed to training. They, they purposely train at a higher elevation so that when they come to these races, I mean, you know, I, so the, the guy who won the marathon, Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge, right? You've heard of him before, right? Because he's won like, the guy is like the greatest, he's the greatest marathon runner of all time. So anyways. Uh, what, what am I, the paper boy, Brian? <laughs> if I've never heard of Elliot Kachoge. So what is, what am I, I've watched him run quite a few marathons in it. And the thing that always cracks me up is watching everybody next to him, just almost completely out of breath. You see them taken in, you know, large quantities of air and he's sitting there going <laughs> it's a podcast Just, jared we can't see you not breathing right right sorry so he barely breaking a sweat he's breathing through his nose you barely see his <laughs> when are we going to be on video when are we going to have our own video channel so but anyways yeah I, i've heard that not not that kenya is super like I guess Kenya is 2,500 feet above sea level. Not that that's like super high, but it's, I, I've heard that they, that's the thing, that, that's something that's always kind of helped them compared to a lot of other marathon runners. But I don't, I, no, that doesn't make sense. I mean, because. Have you tried running here in Colorado at higher? It, it makes a big, it, it makes not, a big difference if you can't years. breathe. No, no. I mean, it's the only place I ran as a, as a, as a youth. Um, <laughs> But, you know, now I couldn't run if there was a bear chasing me. So it's different. And uh, um, 
what my my point is the americans have mountains to train in the russians have mountains to train in i mean you know uh the armenians have mountains to train in and you don't hear about the Ar armenians you know cracking the top the top yeah. 10 in marathon runners yeah there's you know you you think that some of these other countries they just have They've I think, got secrets that they don't want to share you no, know, with others. No, I think I know, I, you know, at the risk of like, you know, getting into trouble, I, I, I think that there are probably cultural reasons for it. Right. Um, Maybe genetics, you know, I, I don't, I don't, e I don't even know that I would go that far though. Uh, no, I, I, I yeah, I'm not comfortable talking about genetics, but I think there may be cultural reasons. Like if people are too poor to have bikes or let alone cars, um, that maybe there's more of an emphasis put on it. I think there's probably uh, a sense of national pride. Um, you know, if you're, if you're Kenya, if you're the director of the Kenyan Olympic Committee, um, you know, if it's your job to field a team, you're probably looking at yourself and saying, well, uh, I mean, a lot of these countries don't have, you know, resources, right? Uh, yeah. And by the way, a, an interesting thing. So like, you'll see these like really high, high end chocolates, like there's a yuppie thing now where people will drink, will eat uh, a really pure chocolate like 85 percent you know mm. cocoa really or cacao yeah yeah so like milk chocolates for kids dark chocolates for adults and like it, it these like really dark chocolates are for like people with you know just a, a sensible okay so like there's health benefits right uh yeah. I, I think it's supposed to do stuff. I have no idea why. Cause I tasted like one that's called absolute black once. Ugh. Was it bad? It tasted like eating aspirin. It was like eating aspirin. It was so terrible. Ugh. So I've, I've asked, you know, I, I see this and I ask people how they, how, how do you enjoy this? And uh, like some people say, well, I have a, just a little bit with some wine at the end of the evening or, you know, I, I, I talked to a person who like will like shave it uh, and put it on ice cream, you know, and like, you know, I dig. You could shave shoe leather and put it on ice cream. And if the ice cream's good enough, who cares? You know, <laughs> uh, that doesn't seem to be the most healthful. Uh, probably um, if you, uh, if you can get away with it, you know, the uh, really dark chocolate and a little red wine could be, you know, mm -hmm. nice, I suppose. But um, uh, anyway, okay, so here's my thing. So like the cocoa, well, wait, is it, is it, yeah, it's, it's cocoa, right? It, yeah, cocoa. But it's a different cocoa than like yeah. Colombians grow, right? It's got to be. Yeah. Coca. Coca is how you say it? Yeah, I was, I was like, I'm one, gonna... one of them's cocoa and one of them's coca. So anyway, whatever it is, the Africans are growing. The Swiss have been buying it, calling it Swiss chocolate. 
and selling it to the world. Okay. So I heard like, I was, I don't know if I read it in the economist or I heard it on the economist podcast, but like the president of an African nation. And I'm very sorry. I can't remember who went to Switzerland and it was like supposed to be like this big, you know, handshake, you know, we're going to buy your, your, your chocolate beans. And, um, the guy, and instead, the president from, from Africa says, you know, we actually think that we could, like, start making our own chocolate, and then we could make awesome chocolate and send it to the world. And Switzerland's like, well, but we do that, so you just need to give us your chocolate. And they're like, yeah, we kind of want to be rich now, too. So you remember that scene in Talladega Nights <laughs> where John C. Riley is talking to Ricky Bobby and about, do you remember how that goes? About how, yeah, but, and then, then like we shake and bake, but then, but like I never get to win. I do remember the converse, that conversation, but I can't remember how it was worded. So they, they do this shake and bake thing where, oh, what, do you remember the name of John C. Riley's character? Come on, Jared. <laughs> Come on. The one who pictured Jesus with a Leonard Skinner. I, and I'm in the front row, hammered drunk. <laughs> All right. So you're really not helping here. Anyway, so like, you know, they race and then like at the last instant, uh, John C. Riley backs off to block, and then Ricky Bobby or or Will Ferrell always always wins, and, and so it's like shake and bake. But like John C. Riley was asking, "Well, how come I never get to win?" It's because well, because winning's kind of my thing, and <laughs> you know, you just you're part of the you're part of that. You're part of you see your thing is helping me do my thing. And, and it just, it just all reminded me of this conversation between the chocolate growing nations of Africa and the Swiss and the Belgians, because, you know, the, the, the African growers want a little shake and bake of their own and who can yeah. grudge them. There, there's no way I would have remembered this name. But it was his name in the movie was Cal Naughton Jr. Cal, C A L. Cal, C A L Naughton Jr. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't remember that. <laughs> uh, doesn't it sound familiar? Yeah. Now that you hear it. Mm -mm. No. No. <laughs> uh, who played Who played the wife? Who played the blonde? So uh, Will Ferrell's wife. Who let Who leaves him for Cal? Yeah, I thought she was someone. That wasn't was... Amy Adams. Didn't Amy Adams fall in love with Will Ferrell in that? Yeah, yeah. So Amy Adams is the one who falls in love. You know what's funny is when I pull up the cast, she's not popping up. I hate when Google does this to you. But yeah, I can't remember. Was she someone? I don't know. That she we know. Like it wasn't Jamie Presley, but it's like she's like one of those. Oh, um, Leslie uh, Bibb. Oh, Leslie Bibb. Leslie Bibb. Wasn't she yeah. in uh, Lost? Was she? Really? I don't know. 
I thought she was the blonde and uh, lost who, not the one who, I don't know. I look, I don't, I don't know. You know what? <laughs> Brian, clearly Brian should be here. Brian can't be here. He's making a million dollars. Of course he is. Um, but Brian knows lost. He would have known Cal Naughton Jr. He would have known shake and bake. I'm just saying. You think he would have remembered that name? Well, but you know what, Brian, Brian would not have, uh, known, um, the name of the famous, the greatest Kenyan long distance runner ever, Elliot Nkambe. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? What's his name? <laughs> Elliot Kipchoge. Kipchoge, of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so there, are, there, yeah. there are stories to be told from the Olympics and that's fine. I get it, you know. I mean, how somebody from a really poor country can beat the wealthiest is is kind of a good story, you know. Though, for all I know, the guy lives like a king in Kenya. So, this is this was something that I always have always thought is interesting about him. Yes, he's super rich because of you know being the great greatest marathon runner. However. If you look up how he lives in Kenya, he lives a very simple life. Like once the once the running is over, he goes home, tends to his cows, works on his farm. I mean, I don't even know if his house has air conditioning. He's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> if he if it did have air conditioning, do you think he'd set it lower than eighty five degrees? Yeah, he probably sets it around what yeah what you set it at. <laughs> yeah, he does sound like a cool guy. Yeah, um, real cool guy. But but you say he's super rich. I mean, is he like super rich, super rich, or is he? He's a millionaire. Super rich. Which yeah, no, he's a millionaire. Why can I hear you through your? Why can you? Yeah, I can hear you through. I can hear myself through. Well, I, I don't know. I your... hope you're not. I hope you're not messing up the recording. It just now started happening. Let's I don't see. know. I don't know. So Elliot Kipchoge's net worth is three million. Okay. So that's like that's like a year in the majors of of any Western sport. Um also it's what a dentist who's good with his money is worth. So <laughs> I would say that's probably Kenyan rich. I mean, it's richer than us. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not being critical about it. I'm just saying it's not that rich. You've been to Graceland, right? No, I, Come on. I know oh, you are killing. You are killing this podcast. Jeff. I didn't. Here's why I didn't go is when I asked you, when you told me you had been and I asked you about it, you're like, the King's house is nothing, you know, spectacular. I mean, the guy, it's like green shack carpet. I think you even said it was smaller than the house you were in at the time. It was definitely smaller than Kenny Mueller's house. I, I don't know why I thought I remember you saying it's not really that big a deal. I mean, except all for right, whatever. All right. All right. Uh, well, thanks a lot, man. I, I, would I went. Honestly, I apologize. I apologize. Um, I 
knowing myself and my own feelings about Graceland, uh, <laughs> I could see how I might have come across unduly negative. <laughs> I, I, I like, love the king. I liked Graceland better than I liked Portland. <laughs> and the other thing is, the other thing is, um, uh, you, you shouldn't let me talk you out of going to a like an epic <laughs> cultural thing just because I said, no, what I've said, and, I, and I've. I was said, young, and I trusted you. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a young, innocent mind. <laughs> There's your first mistake. Um, no, you should, if you ever get a chance, you should go to Graceland. But you should recognize that it's not as big a house. This is the point I was going to make. He bought it from a doctor. And when you like walk through it, you think, oh, you know what this is? This looks like a rich, you know, rich doctor's house from like the mid 20th century. Because you know why? Because it was. And then Elvis came in and he like did all that God awful stuff from the seventies. And then the poor yeah. guy dies in 77. So yeah, there's a green shag carpet on the wall and you know, there's, there's, you know, glass grapes on the, on the counter or, you know, on the, on the, on the table or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's really yeah. cheesy, but there are people all over the world who like come together to stand at Elvis's grave, you know, and it's, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh gosh. So yeah, back in, back in the seventies, would that have been, would it, would that have been considered a nice home? Or do you think even back then it was pretty, like, do you think it, it was, it seemed out of the ordinary for somebody of, of his stature, you know, to be living, to not be living in a huge mansion, you know? You know, I, I like, okay, um, it's a prestigious home. Okay. Uh, uh, it's probably even nicer than Elliot Nogchogi's ranch, okay? You say his name wrong one more time. What are you going to do? I, I dare you. I dare you to say it. I tried to say <laughs> it right. I tried to say <laughs> it right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I am not doing that disrespectfully. I think I think you said the Italian word for a noodle. Did you say yogi? <laughs> easy, easy boy. Yeah. So okay. So it was it was a nice. It was yeah, probably considered the, a pretty nice home then. For the thing is, the thing is, we both know now people in big houses with three acres of land, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and it, it doesn't seem as impressive as it used to. Okay, so also here's the thing to consider about. I don't know what Graceland's on. I think it's three acres of land, but maybe it's four. All right. Okay. There, the stories like from the 70s, which were, were the years of Elvis's real excess, right? Like he had all those Southern guys around him called the Memphis Mafia. Mm -hmm. And like, they were like drinking and like driving around on, you know, motorcycles and chasing each other around the, 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 the lot. Practicing you know. karate on each other. Right, right. <laughs> And I believe that there's stories about brandishing weapons. And you just think, man, if 
if the neighbor next to me was driving around with his old boys and they're drinking and racing motorcycles and maybe even shooting a few shots in the air, I would think three, three acres isn't that big. It's not big enough to do that. It's, uh, it's on 13.8 acres. Is it really that big? Mm-hmm. Well, you sure yep. don't get that in the tour. 13.8. You know, here's the thing is like I, when it came to the land it was on, I was going to ask how much, I thought it was a lot. I thought it was more than that when I had heard about, because I thought Elvis was into that. You know, he wanted to have like, didn't he want to have like horses and, you know. Yeah, and, and I'm, sure he had a, I'm, I'm sure he had other properties, but um, I mean, like this is right in Memphis. Mm -hmm. It's it's in Memphis. You can take a bus. Okay. And we did. We took a bu the bus from Graceland to Beale Street, um, which, which was which was quite an adventure. Uh, and and then we had barbecue on Beale Street, and we went to a blues club, and it was great. You know, there I, it's a short story, but I have kind of a funny story about. Uh, some friends who went to Graceland. I won't say their last names because I know you're funny about that, but you know, you know who Drew and Cindy are. Oh, sure. <laughs> so they had a funny story where they were heading to Florida. I think it was for work because remember, they're like insurance adjusters and I think there had been a hurricane storm or whatever. So they're going there to work and Cindy is begging Drew, can we please go? Can we take a route that takes us through Memphis so I can see Graceland. And Drew was like, no, like we have to get to work. And she said she bugged him for hours. Well, eventually Drew is like, he's like, hey, hon, I'm getting kind of sleepy. Do you mind uh, taking over the wheel for me? No way. <laughs> when he wakes up, they're at Graceland. <laughs> Oh, I thought that was so funny. That <laughs> She's is like, funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had to see it. <laughs> I hope they took the tour since they were there. I thought so. Yeah, I thought they did everything. Yeah, he was, I think, you know, Drew is actually a pretty laid back guy. I can't see him being, oh, sure. You know, you know, upset about that. He's like, all right, fine. Let's go do it. You know, <laughs> wasn't I in another, was I in a second wedding with her or just yours? I thought it was just mine. Yeah, because you walked down with Cindy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah I, I thought so. I mean, who? How many, that man, Drew how many weddings have you been guy. in? That Drew has, has Paul Newman piercing blue eyes. You know, people say he looks like Patrick Swayze like all the time. Okay. Oh, he gets that all the time. That's crazy. No, he looks like Paul. Okay. Given the Roadhouse. Choice, if I looked like if I was Patrick Swayze and I had a chance to look like Paul Newman, I would kill myself. That's a, I don't know. It's kind of a tough call because uh, Swayze's got the fit, you know, body. <laughs> Did you ever listen to that podcast I sent you with Dana Carvey? Yes, that was yeah, that was hilarious. How how hilarious was do, Dana Carvey? Do, yeah, doing Schwarzenegger. That was <laughs> well, but he told that. He, I mean, and, and he, he told the story about um, uh, uh, the Chippendales sketch with uh, 
Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. Dennis Dennis Miller said in his life, he has never heard an audience erupt in laughter. Yeah. Like that was one of the funniest things uh, I feel like I've ever seen on SNL was when those two, when Quitman Farley's up there dancing with him. I think I still, I still cry from laughter when I show that to, you know, cause I've shown that to some who have never seen it before. I'm like, how have you never seen this? And yeah, Farley just kills me <laughs> every, every time. <laughs> well, and Dana Carvey's telling that's this, telling the story and he does Neil Young and he goes, that fat kid's funnier than crap. <laughs> do you think, do you think Carvey, like when he wants to imitate someone, he goes home and he just practices nonstop for a week or do you think it just, just comes naturally to him? It's just unbelievable how many voices he can do. I think, I think it's a combination. I heard him once talk about, um, doing George H.W. Bush. Uh, and, you know, of course, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's famous. Oh, okay, so like he was saying that like, uh, uh, like when he's doing Regis Philbin, Philbin and he goes, I'm out of control. And like Regis <laughs> Philbin never said that. And, and I'm not, not sure how much of the stuff that we associate with George Herbert Walker Bush uh is actually <laughs> actually he ever said or how much of it's dana carvey but yeah. he, he talked about how i mean and it's probably video of it out there about how he he was talking oh it's a combination of tom H- of uh not tom hanks um mr rogers fred rogers and uh john wayne really that's yeah. interesting so take a nice guy <laughs> Like Mr. Rogers, but <laughs> you give him the cadence of John Wayne and place in history secure. <laughs> Berlin Wall's coming down. Germans are doing that freedom thing. <laughs> Re-election assured. And Dana Carvey's got George Herbert Walker Bush. Stay the course. Wouldn't <laughs> no new taxes. Wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> yeah, no, he. I, I so I watched. Um, this might this might only be a few years old, but Fallon had him on, and if anybody, if if I were to pick my second favorite impressionist, is that what that would he be called? Is that what they're called? <laughs> I, I would just call him a comedian because Com- okay. So and 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 I'll, and I'll tell you why, and we'll get back to it. But go ahead. Okay. So, Fallon ha- has a he's good you too. Know, like like Carvey is amazing. Yeah, can do he, some pretty. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, he had him on in cart. They they were doing Fallon will do. You know, he'll always do those games or something with a lot of the guests. And one of them was usually this is a singing game, but this time it was impressions. So they both had to do impressions of different people and they spin a wheel and whoever it lands on. And so Carvey did Barack Obama and I just couldn't believe how, you know, dead on he was. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah, Fallon to me is a close. uh, And it was really funny. Um, uh, So not only, let's see. um, 
so Fallon, Fallon is good and can do it. And I, I think it's amazing that he can do imitations of people singing. Singing is, yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. So, I mean, I, I've seen him do Neil Young. I've seen him do Springsteen. I've seen him do Van Morrison. And I would call myself a fan of all those guys. And he's like, no. he's good. Okay. He's, yeah. But, okay, so do you know who Rich Little is? Rich Little. He was a guy, he was on, uh, he was, he was like a Vegas act and he was on all sorts of stuff in like the late sixties and early seventies. And he would, Oh yeah. Yeah. I know Rich Little. And he would just, and the thing is he, he, his whole act was, um, you know, you say something uh, to set me up and then, and then it's like, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, as, as, as Jimmy Stewart says, uh, you know, and so like he would just always do it. And in fact, Saturday Night Live even did a hilarious uh, bit where they had a game show from the 70s. And uh, it was like, I don't know, somebody was Burt Convy and he had that uh, really ridiculously long microphone, you know, that was like, <laughs> like, looks like a wire, you know? And, um, and like and, and and Bert and, and and Rich Little's always trying to do his bit, and Bert Convy keeps shutting him down because it's so <laughs> tedious. So so there's an actor named Kevin Pollack, who's been in some good things. He was the third guy with Tom Cruise and uh, Demi Moore in A Few Good Men. Uh, he was one of the characters in. Oh, yeah. um, uh, the usual suspects okay so so i mean he's 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 done some good work but his 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 main thing now is he just shows up on i don't know it seems like he's like is it christopher walken isn't that what he's known for like doing a real good christopher he walken? does uh he does peter falk because he can like freeze one eye he can keep one eye straight ahead while he's like <laughs> um moving moving the other eye around so he can like do the glass eye which is pretty great um yeah. but i mean you see it once and, and you've seen it a hundred times yeah and i think martin yeah. short was and and it, and it becomes tedious and it's just like well i don't want to i just don't want to like keep seeing that bit you know mm -hmm. uh and then, and then Martin Short, I think, was getting close to that because every time, every time he was on a talk show, he'd end up doing Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> and I mean, look, I, I like a good Catherine Hepburn as much as the next guy, but I mean, it's like, well, it's like your bag of tricks and you got to do it every time. And, I mean, you know, and I think Martin Short has actually expanded his career. I never, like, loved his Jiminy Glick character. No right that really fat guy <laughs> though i did yeah. see one thing on youtube he was interviewing uh mel brooks <laughs> like i don't even know what the thing was was the whole thing just like a setup like between two ferns with zach galifianakis or oh my um, gosh anything with <laughs> sasha baron cohen right so so he's interviewing mel brooks and jiminy glick says <laughs> what's your beef with the nazis <laughs> <laughs> i think i remember that and uh yeah I, I mean that's like the only thing i've ever seen and and look mel brooks was what was funny about that not jiminy glick 
you know it, the whole have you ever watched any of those between the two ferns yeah i've seen some between two ferns so so you know they're, they're not all great but there are some pretty you know when he is interviewing keanu reeves that one's pretty good where he's asking him like do i need to slow down when i'm talking to you maybe dumb it down a little bit he's like and keanu reeves is just staring at him he's like just tap your foot once if you understand me <laughs> I don't love between two ferns. I mean, I like no. I like how cheap it looks, you know, with like the computer generated graphics, right? From like, I don't know what that is, a Commodore six thousand or something. Um, but it's it just I, I I don't love the stuff that just makes you cringe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Exactly. So I but I did watch. I I don't know if you've seen this treasure. Um, uh, <laughs> Bar and Star go to Vista Del Mar with Kristen Wiig. Uh-uh. haven't seen it. Okay, so I it's love Kristen, Kristen Wiig too. and some other chick from Bridesmaids, uh, which I didn't see, but they like play two like two ladies from um, I don't know, Sheboygan or someplace in Iowa and then they like go to some place in Florida and I mean they just play really uncool but friendly Midwesterners who are in a tropical paradise and end up in a like with a Bond villain who's also played by Kristen Wiig and they're gonna like let killer mosquitoes out at Vista Del, Vista Del Mar <laughs> and overall it was stupid so I okay. would go, given a choice, I would give it, I would give it one Graceland. <laughs> From uh, Ant-Man to Thanos, how great is it? <laughs> it's Ant-Man. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, uh, yeah, out of, out of a possible four Gracelands, I would give it a one Graceland. Oh boy. And I, man, I'm sorry about, uh, uh, I'm sorry about talking out of going to Graceland. I mean, you, you know, you should go. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Well, I will now. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. If next time you're going through Memphis, um, which by the way, you know, Miss, Mrs. Winger has to do to visit her mother. But um, well, yeah. I mean, if I go, we'll probably fly. I mean, there's, a, there's some other stuff to do in Memphis, right? There's a lot of, um, is there any like cool, history museums like music like because of the a lot of the good a lot of good music that's come out of memphis um, okay, the barbecue so you know how you know how like um in kansas city there was like the 18th and vine jazz district okay so that that was a real thing uh you know whatever in the in the 30s in the 1930s um but it you know there's not that much of a jazz scene you know, if you're going to play jazz, if you're going to be a serious jazz musician, you're in New Orleans or you're in Chicago, or you're probably in New York, maybe you're in LA. Um, so, you know, there are a few drinking establishments, but it's a rough part of town. Okay. So you asked me about Memphis and I'm trying to create some geographical cultural parallel. So Beale Street Beale Street is um, 
uh, the famous blues mm -hmm. district, right? <clears throat> with okay, and so it's a few square blocks, which I, I'm not even kidding. I mean, there's like a ton of cops. There are a ton of cops to make it safe for tourists. And it is, or at least, you know, I mean, it's been 20, you know, it's been over 20 years since I was there. Okay. Um, but I just talked to somebody and they went to Beale street and they said it was, it was fine. And yeah, there's still a lot of cops. I just didn't know if things had changed since, you know, whatever defund the police and all that's been going on. Um, and apparently it's still necessary and part of the Memphis, you know, economic scheme uh, to make it safe for you to go eat it. And so like B.B. King had a place and like a lot of like famous mm -hmm. musicians <laughs> have their own barbecue place. And then there's other places that were just famous for great barbecue. And then, you know, they're all within, you know, and you can't go to a mall, right? So we went to, uh, I think we ate at B.B. King's place because I don't know why, because we just had to eat someplace. So we ate there. And then we went to like a, a, a coffee or a, it's kind of like a coffee bar kind of place. And uh, I really liked the waitress. I liked the cut of her jib. She was like, okay, well, it's great to have you guys here, but you're obviously tourists. And this is a, you're like right on the frontier. You're right on the edge of Beale Street. So you want to be really careful. And um, I don't know if we got coffee or probably drinks. And this is, this is where, and this is like the best thing. So there was like, Okay, I mean, this isn't the best thing, but this is where the blues really becomes something, quite something. And it's, um, okay, so the guy happened to be blind, so he's like a blind blues singer. But he's like singing this song, and it's kind of long, about this woman who's like so ugly, and like, it's kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of like funny the way the lyrics go on about how funny, that, how, how ugly this woman is. And so he works hard and he takes her in and he like gets her some teeth and he like fixes her up and he gets her a wig and he like does all these things. And she, and, and, and once, once she's fixed up, she's beautiful. And then, and, and like everybody, like certainly all, all my black friends that I tell this story to know like a mile away where the story is going, <laughs> but it took me by surprise. Okay. So he like fixes this woman up. She's beautiful. And then she like dumps him and breaks his heart. Okay. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was like stunning. I mean, it was kind of like, I mean, I haven't, I, I think the only the only thing that's like even close to like that kind of like lulling me into complacency. I mean, it's like, I enjoy it, but I have very low expectations for it. Um, and then it becomes like amazing is maybe like reading no country for old men, because as I was saying to a friend just the other day, you know, I mean, I, I still say when, when I read that novel or when I read that novel, I mean, it's like only 300 and some pages. And like mm -hmm. for the first 200 pages, I'm thinking, how is this not genre fiction? You got like a really bad guy. You have some like really imperfect guys. You have some other bad guys. How is this just not a tale of like, you know, guys and guns? And then, and then... like the last hundred pages, it's like, holy <laughs> crap. 
crap. It, like, when just he goes into the like convenience store. <laughs> what would you say? When he goes, it's, it all starts when he walks into that convenience store, pulls out that coin, and he asks him to call it. That's where that's where I remember like I didn't see that coming, and the the it's How just much? such an intense scene. With uh, what what's the name of the bad guy in there? Uh, Anton Sugar. Anton, yeah, Sugar. When he's in that in that store, and that was kind of his thing, right? He flipped the coin and he'd ask people to call it. Yeah, his whole. I mean, he had this his trippy view about everything, <sighs> everything. This coin's been traveling here since 1952, mm-hmm. and I've been traveling here, and you've been traveling here, and here we are. We're right here at this oh, moment, it's so and, and it's like, and it's like, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, but not really. I mean, it's not like it was like fated to happen, you know. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, that that coin could have been thrown in and a fountain and you'd have another coin but then you're like oh but yeah but then that's the coin that was traveling there to be there at that moment at that moment mm-hmm. it's like the whole i don't know i i think it's kind of trippy i mean it's mm-hmm. it's uh got aspects of i i don't know and i just think that chigger and, and more than just anton chigger uh is just like the evil in the world like mm-hmm. like Bruce Springsteen sings in the song Nebraska. If you want to know why I did what I did, well, sir, I guess there's just a meanness in this world or evil in this world. I don't know. There's something bad in the world, man. Mm -hmm. So now I got to listen to Nebraska. I hope you're happy. (laughs) Let's listen to it together. (laughs) How, How many seconds did Levine say we can play before we... (laughs) <laughs> Levine, Levine, the uh, um, podmaster of the uh, Refresher Pop Culture Therapy podcast, uh, says that it depends on who you, you uh, what it is. Some people give you, I think some, I don't know, it's 20 or 30 seconds, I think, of a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was something like that. But if you don't talk about it, you got to pay for it. So like, really? I guess yeah. I that. So like, like if if we like, okay. So like, the way I think it works is, I could actually legally play a clip from Nebraska right here and now. But but then like, and we wouldn't have to pay if it was like just the line that I was talking about. Um, okay. However, if it was if like we just like concluded the podcast and we were playing it out, then we would have to pay Bruce Springsteen uh, for that. And um, I'm not feeling like, real flush <laughs> right now. 10 grand, like 10 grand a word. <laughs> um, I don't know um, how it works. I know that there was a time. So the, the filmmaker, the, the, the director, Peter Bogdanovich um, uh, directed a movie ca- called Mask that had Cher and Sam Elliott oh, yeah. and a young Eric mm-hmm. Stoltz and he had some sort of like terrible yeah, like the, hearing, uh, yeah. disease and Bogdanovich wanted to use Springsteen music well it was the mid 80s and nobody was bigger than Springsteen then uh, arguably Michael Jackson was 
Springsteen wouldn't give him the rights or he couldn't afford the rights. So he ended up using Bob Seeger, um, who's who you got when you couldn't get Springsteen, you know, working <laughs> class hero and all that. Um, but then, but then it, uh, it, it didn't really seem to work as well. Well, but, you know, people's fortunes rise and fall and in the early aughts, before Springsteen released Magic, I think, um, certainly before he played the Super Bowl. Do you remember that TV show that had like that wispy blonde, who, uh, a Cold Case? It was maybe called Cold Case. Yeah, you know what I'm talking watched, about? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I never watched it. Um, so like they had a whole episode where they got the rights to Springsteen songs. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's kind of something, isn't it? So um, let's see. Um, um, if you know, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going back to this, but when you're talking about uh, the statues, <laughs> I can't believe the muscular the muscular statues. What is it in? Is it Rome, where they have the Trevi Fountain? Was it Rome or Florence? Hang on, I'm I'm trying something new. Can you can you, could you hear anything? Could you hear? Could you hear anything? Not very well. I can tell you're trying to play something, but yeah, I don't hear it well. Okay, well maybe that's because you wouldn't stop talking. Do you ever think of that? All right, so hang on. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> All right, you you keep talking about naked men statues, and I will. <laughs> well, just when yeah, so when when you were talking about that earlier, being in Italy, that that's something. Okay, hang on, hang on. Here it comes. Here it comes. Okay. And stop. <laughs> well, sir, there's just a meanness in this world. Okay. So did you want to talk about the, the Nazis and naked naked statues again? I was just trying to fill the sil silence, to be honest. <laughs> but I, well, I remember, you know, I think it was Rome where I felt like I saw more statues like that where, yeah, all the guys are just unbelievably muscular. And I was like, did the men really look like that back then, you think? Or if that was just exaggerated? Well, okay. Well, there's a couple of things. One is there weren't as many fat people and it's not been, you know, I mean, obviously they want to, they wanted to sculpt something beautiful. So you would do, I mean, look, I, um, you know, you would, if you were a sculptor, you would probably choose, um, Brad Pitt over, you know, whatever, Chris Farley or me. So that's, <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, um, yep. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just kind of assumed they probably looked a little more like maybe Russell Crowe in Gladiator 
you know, good shape, but didn't look like they could enter. Russell Crowe lately? Have you seen Russell Crowe lately? I, I, I haven't. Is he not looking good? Well, I used, you know how I used to say I look like Russell Crowe if he let himself go? <laughs> now I can just say I look like Russell Crowe. <laughs> that, that is Full all. stop. <laughs> if I shave, you know, if he shaved or something like that. Yeah, he's, he's put on some weight. You know, that's, you know. Uh, oh my goodness i saw that i saw a picture of christian bale apparently he like starved himself for some role did you ever see that well you probably well no the movie, the movie was, it was rated r super creepy called uh the machinist the machinist he, yeah he really <clears throat> starved himself he looked looked awful like he was about to die so yeah i don't you know there's a i mean you is that what you would you call that a method actor when they do stuff like that they go to extremes to yeah yeah that you gotta like be the um, thing that like you yeah gotta experience I, it so you can't just like pretend to be mad you like really have to be mad yeah so a lot of there's been a, quite a few actors and actresses that have done stuff like that and i just i just can't imagine a job being that important to me that i'd want to you know nearly kill myself <laughs> you know well, come I close mean, to starving that, yourself but, to... but i mean you've you've injured yourself at work you you've you've bled and hurt yourself for a lot less like money a... than that <laughs> i'm like right. a pin nail <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> i don't know if that if that's the best comparison it's there there are certain things i i am willing to do for money but <laughs> i wouldn't take it that far Okay. I think guys, you know, like, I think, I think, I think working guys, no, I, look, I, I don't think it makes sense to starve yourself for the art. That doesn't make yeah. sense. To me. Okay. That's, that's not balanced. It's not reasonable, but I think that we do things for money. People go to work when their knees hurt because if they don't, they can't pay their mortgage and their family will have no place to live. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, and, and so, and so, um, but, but just, these guys, a lot of times these, these actors, they've, they've already got, they've already got enough money. So at this point, what, what is it that they're really, you know, aiming for? Is it just, is it, you think it is just about the art of it then it's about, being being remembered I think, for I think this. you get consumed in projects okay i think you could probably think of guys that you know who have lost their sense of balance while trying to accomplish a building project or 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 whatever um i think that if on the other side of it i mean if you're you know if you view yourself as a real artist you know there's you know, plaudits and um, you know the the plaudits of your peers win a you know win an Oscar, win a a prestigious mm -hmm. award. There's a ton of money. I you know I I, I think different people are are hanging, uh, uh, hanging uh, uh, are motivated by different things. I was actually 
reminded of a line uh, that John Goodman um, uh, has in a movie, and I am now going to repeat it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Um, I'm not. Which movie? Uh, there's a the movie ba- called Big Trumbo. Oh. A movie called Trumbo about uh, the blacklisted um, communist writer Dalton Trumbo who did uh, Spartacus for Kurt Russell and, you know, many other movies. Okay. When you, when you see the Coen brothers um, uh, hail Caesar, you know, there's like, there's a bunch of communist writers sitting around in like this incredibly luxurious home in Beverly Hills. I mean, so similar to that, but anyway, uh, John Goodman plays a rough, um, movie producer and he's and he's like yelling at somebody and he says i am not in this for the art i'm in it for the money and for the women both of whom are hanging from the trees uh and um so it, it was like that so I, I i don't know what an artist like christian bale is motivated by maybe he just gets off by being more extreme than everybody else um yeah you know, I, but I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've said for a long time, you don't really reach to the heights of your, your profession without making sacrifices. I mean, I'm sorry, but I mean, you know, the, I'm sure the Obama kids are like nice kids, but you can't have a normal life like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe they'll turn out great, but then the next generation are going to turn out to be like the Kennedys or something, you know, a bunch of. Well, I think Bale, so Christian Bale, I think he recently, this is it's probably better for you than what he did for The Machinist, but I think he got into unbelievably good shape for his next movie movie role, which is the uh, the new Thor movie. The Christian Love and Thunder. Thor movie? Yeah, he's the bad guy. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember his name? What's his, what's his name? Uh, let's see, what was his name? Christian Bale getting some of that Marvel money. Yeah. Yeah, he ought to be able to make some, you know, unseen movies about serial killers for a long time after this. Uh, so the name is Gore? Gore? Oh, come on. Gore? Gore, Ryan's- the god of something. I can't remember. Okay. Does that sound familiar? You're just making it up because you don't know. I'm not, I swear. No, it's okay. All right. So we got to wrap it up. Um, You you have a shirt with a hashtag on it? (laughs) Yeah. Betterer? Betterer. What's, What's that from? So it's a play on Roger Federer's last name. Yeah, I, I when I, I so I got, I got to go to the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, and I was hoping I'd get to see him. And yeah, so I wore the shirt for nothing. <laughs> I ended up seeing Nadal. Okay, so <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Expectations podcast. Uh, I'm your host Jeff Winger. Uh, with me is I'm your Segundo. Uh, Tennis tennis fanboy Jared Reiser. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend. 
press uh, subscribe, uh, press share, uh, you know, leave a review. We're always happy to hear from uh, folks. And um, uh, that's going to do it uh, for now. So until next time, take care, everybody. Peace and love. <laughs>